Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. Now in this episode, it's festival season here in Southern California. I'm prepping for the Southern California Homebrewers Festival and AHA HomebrewCon, but right now it's really SoCal. And I figured I'd walk you through what my brew schedule looks like and why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I've got a month to brew. So sit back. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. This holiday season, give back to the brewing community when you join the American Homebrewers Association. From November 8th through December 15th, purchase an annual membership and the American Homebrewers Association will make a $5 donation to your choice of beer for boobs, Soldiers Angels Hops for Heroes, or the Michael James Jackson Foundation for Brewing and Distilling. Learn more about these nonprofits and how to donate directly by visiting homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. And let's give back together. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Okay, as I said in the open, it's festival season, and I'm planning a run for this year. Me being me, I tend to leave things to the last minute because I'm me. I'm still trying to get all of these projects in order and you know learn more things as I want to do. You know, what's the point of brewing if I can't learn something new or try something new? But right now, I need beer for that festival. Southern California Homebrews Festival is on May 5th. As I record that, that gives me just under a month. What can I do in that month? What can I make? And how do I make enough beer in that time? So let's review my goals here. I want to produce at least three different beers. I'm not going to have a lot of time to do it, so I've got to really do it all in one day. Generally, club members will cover things like IPAs. They'll also cover like the bigger beers, the big Belgians. So that kind of my, so that kind of leaves my niche as the other. Now, people expect me to bring a saison. I would expect that you would expect me to bring a saison. I expect myself to bring something like a mild because I like to have something like that during the middle of a day-long drinking festival. And I still want to make something fun and something that I can learn with, but not necessarily something wild like a triple raspberry cheesecake sour IPI. Having said that, this is no time to get fancy. I don't really have a lot of time to play around with. And I don't want to, you know, really stress too much about it because 
you have to remember most commercial beer is produced in about four weeks or less. Time and tank equals money being wasted. So all those IPAs that you drink, they're not sitting there waiting on them for you know six weeks. Those are in and out in like three, which means that this is completely doable. Now, as I said, batches need to be done in one day. Everything needs to be prepared the night before. Denny and I have talked about this before. Brew days are sort of overcome by inertia, right? You're going to sit there, you're going to spend eight hours doing two hours worth of work, and you really kind of want to make sure that everything goes as easy as possible. Otherwise, if you're like me, you go, you know what, I need to go to Trader Joe's. So everything needs to be done the night before. That means I want my fermenters clean. Everything's ready. I need my water set. Go through, do all my water chemistry calculations, make sure that my sparge water is set up, make sure that my mash water is set up, make it so that the only thing I have to do in the morning is walk outside and go bloop, which also means I need my grains milled and my hops weighed out and everything's ready and set to go. Again, get everything set so that in the morning, all I have to do is walk outside, I got fermenters at the ready, and I got a brew day starting, and I can do it with minimal effort to get going. Now, since I need three batches of beer, and I want to do this all in one day, that means I'm going to have to break out more than just one brew system. So in my case, I've still got my G30, and I have something I need to test for the G30. So I'm going to break out my G30, which is 110 volt. And I got my G40, the 220 setup. So I'm going to roll out both of those. Because remember, the G30 can do eight gallons-ish. The G40 can do 11 gallons. If... I'll hold that's 19 gallons. That's enough for three batches of beer. I mean, if I suppose if I got really super fancy and decided to do something strong and water it down, I could do four. But let's not get there yet. Let's do three batches of beer in this 19 gallons. And that's enough for me to be able to do it in one run. I still have an old uh, mash and boil that I can use as my HLT, which I've used as my HLT in the past. So I'll have one tank of sparge water and two boil systems going. Now, of course, I have all that gear going. There's a lot of moving parts here. Two brew systems going, one HLT going. I'm going to try and keep everything as else as simple as I possibly can, which again is part of the reason why I'm talking about having everything prepped the night before. Use an immersion chiller instead of using a counterflow chiller just to you know, make life simpler in terms of how much cleaning I have to do there. Make sure that I got the spare tubing going. Uh, I'm going to keep my water profiles relatively simple. All of this stuff is going to share a fairly similar water profile, at least two of the batches. Um, you know, but otherwise try not to overthink it too much. The other thing I'm going to have to do just to keep my life sane is I'm going to have to stagger the starts of all this, right? I don't want to end up with everything trying to chill at the same time. Now I am aided in the fact that the G30 I have is a 110 volt system, which means it boils a lot less quickly than the 220 G40 that I have. So it, I do think it's funny, even though the G40 is going to be boiling more liquid, it's going to get to boil faster. Um, so I get a little bit of extra time there just from that, but I'm going to stagger the starts anyway. I don't care if I'm taking a little bit longer on this day, just as long as I'm not kind of back to back with everything. Plus the batch that's going to go into the G30, I think is going to have a whirlpool step. So I buy some extra time there. Also, just so I'm not farting around with all sorts of different, you know, starter jars and whatnot. This is pretty much going to be dry yeast only. I'll have one starter going for a Saison, but everything else will be dried yeast, which simplifies my life. Now, Things I have to consider here, since I only have the two brew rigs, and I'm trying to do three batches of beer, whatever goes into that G40 kind of has to have a uniform mash schedule. I can do things like add sugar to it if I need to in order to kind of change things up. But I'm 
if I was and if I was being really ambitious, I could always just take the stuff that I have in the G40 and split it out partially into the mash and boil after the mash and boil is done being the HLT and proceed from there. But I don't think I'm going to make my life that hard. Good thing is I don't have to worry about fermentation temperatures because I have that all under separate controllers that all will do different temperatures. So I don't have to worry about that. I can do something cold. I can do something warm. It is a good reminder that I have to go get a new chest freezer because I need a place to put my kegs. I get them cold, keep them cold. I want to be able to do this ferment in two weeks. That's plenty of time to do a ferment. Two weeks. Settle for about a week in cold and then package just before the festival. I think all of that is very, very doable. I'm not talking about doing anything with massive gravities or anything that's going to take a long time for aging. Um, dry hopping is possible. In fact, I think we're going to dry hop one of these batches, but I'm going to do it in the usual sort of two to three day thing that Denny and I have really embraced over the past couple of years. And for extra clarification, as soon as this beer is done fermenting, I'm going to get it cold and I'm going to add gelatin to it. Get that clarification happening so that, you know, when I get into the kegs, I don't have to worry about taking more time to settle there and maybe possibly transferring. My hope is that I'll end up down in Temecula with clear beer. So what to make? Well, we know I have to do two styles. I have to do a Saison, and I want to do a mild because that's me. Now, the Saison and mild, I think I'm going to do with the same malt base. I'll do that in the G40, so it's going to be basically like a an English pale malt, maybe the Chevalier like I did last year, some invert syrup. Now, remember, uh, here in America, we have a tendency to think of mild as always being super dark, almost porterish in color. It doesn't have to be. So I can go with a lighter invert syrup. Don't have to add a lot of extra crystals and other other bits and bobs to it. Probably add a portion of oats to it, just so I have that sort of extra specialty grain that you always find in a saison. The hop will be with just a simple, you know, single bittering addition, and then I can take a portion of that wort off to chill. That will become the mild, and then I can hit the saison with maybe some more sugar and a whirlpool hop addition, maybe some sort of spice in the whirlpool. And then that way I have a radically different flavor, you know, from the exact same set of wort that I just did in order to make one batch of wort. And now for the other style, I still have a ton of malted corn available to me. So I still have like Bloody Butcher and Alice Boone White. And I figured what I could do, <laughs> since I don't really feel like I have enough time to do a cream ale in the way I normally like to do my cream ales, because a cream ale for me takes about a month, right? And this, now we're kind of under that month period. So let's make a pale ale, right? And let's just take a, a lesson out of the book that everybody's talking about and what we just got done talking about, cold IPA. But instead of doing an IPA, because like I said, the other people in the club will have that covered, I'm going to make a cold pale ale. And yeah, I kind of realized we talked about it before that, you know, well, isn't a cold IPA really just like a hopped up cream ale? Yeah, kind of. In this particular case, I'm leaning right into that mess, but I'm going right at the right strengths for a cream ale. Um, I can feel your judgment, and that's okay. And since Ryan had just shipped me a bunch of Michigan hops to play with, this is where I think my learning opportunity is going to come into play, get a chance to explore these hops. Now, I've got my hands on Magnum, Hydra, Bergamot, Racal, Copper, Mackinac, and Multihead from Michigan. And I figure that this would kind of be interesting. So I know both the Copper and the Mackinac are Chinook crosses. Bergamot, unsurprisingly, tastes like oranges and citrus. And uh, dank, and what I thought was interesting, some mango, okay? Copper, fruit punch, black cherry, red hard candy, pineapple, hydra, citrusy and tangerine. Mackinac is tropical citrus and melon. Magnum, of course, is clean and bitter because it's Magnum. 
wonder if anybody could actually make a magnum that tastes like anything other than magnum. Hmm. Multi-head's a Neo-Mexicanus one, so it's got a lot of that tropical fruit characteristic, uh, guava and melon. And Racal, which I thought was interesting being grown in Michigan, stone fruit and apricot. So what I think I'm going to do here is do this cold pale ale, bitter it with magnum and probably the Mackinac, because that comes in, I think, at like 10% alpha acid. Get that up to a nice, decent bitterness. And by that, I mean like, say, around 30-ish IBUs. And then do a couple of hop stands, or actually do one hop stand, with a three-way mix of the Mackinac, the Copper, and the Racal, so that I get all the sort of tropical and stony fruit characters in there, but without a lot of melon and guava type thing. Do that, lower temperature for 20 minutes, and then do a dry hop for two days with the same blend of Mackinac, Copper, and Racal. And send that out and see how that does as a, as a cold pale ale. I'll ferment it with something like Diamond or 3470. And I figured that should give me enough time to get clarification. The hops will help me with any sort of any, any sort of remaining character behind there. Keeps me on trend, but also gives me a chance to tweak the twin just a little bit and also kind of learn something. One last thing to note about bringing beer to a festival or actually really about beer in general. Uh, when you're really trying to do something that you consider to be memorable. Um, we've talked about it before. I am big on the idea of narratives. Humans are story-driven critters. That's the reason why we get all the beer legends out there, really all food legends, all the all the cultural tales that we tell everybody about why this thing is such a thing in our culture. And so I'm big on that, and I think it's very important, and I think names are a part of that. Names have power. Names excite people. Names make things memorable. Uh, I know a lot of us, as we get older in the hobby, you kind of get a little lazy and everything becomes, well, that's pale ale number 27. But I'm telling you, if you're going to share your beer out with other people, a name is a good thing. A name gives people a chance to connect, gives people actually some sort of indication of what you're thinking about with the beer, um, and gives them something to remember more than pale ale number 27. This is also, by the way, why I think it's also important for you to have names for your beers internally, because, I mean, at least for me, it's a lot easier to remember you know, ooh, springtime in Amarillo, as opposed to spring saison number 20. Actually, I think that was spring saison number five, regardless. And by the way, it doesn't have to be catchy. It doesn't have to be super creative. You know, so it doesn't have to be like springtime in Amarillo. It doesn't have to be you know, anything more than like, say, citrus saison or, you know, Drew's Pale or Tim's Mild or bourbon vanilla imperial porter, to give an example from my co-host. Anything like that will do the trick. It starts as a descriptor. It's different than just saying blah. And it gives you something to connect with. Uh, and like I said, I think it's kind of important to do. Leave the pale ale number 27 for when you're farting around at home. To give you an idea, this cold pale, what am I going to call this? Well, I mean, it's a cold pale ale. It's a lot of Michigan hops. So why not call it something like Michigan Spring Cold Pale? Personally, I'd prefer to go a little more lyrical and say something like, cold as a pale Michigan spring, but that doesn't really roll off the tongue now, does it? These are just a couple of quick thoughts. This is how I'm going to brew something and get three beers, a mild, a saison, and a cold pale ale, all out in a very, very short window. Um, would it be better, you ask, if you had gotten on the stick earlier and started doing your planning earlier and brewed more? 
Well, yeah, but then again, also, since I'm a kind of a session or lower alcohol kind of guy, can't really go that far out and have the beer be at, like, peak freshness. Uh, I promise you, I will be brewing more for AHA as well, so you can stop by and see us at HomebrewCon in San Diego and get some more of my beer there. But this is how I kind of think. I uh, I write everything at the last minute. I do a lot of things at the last minute. I'm, I'm a perfect procrastinator. And I would love to get your tips and your tricks and your own inspiration for how you would do something like this as well. So you know what to do. Send me an email, drew at experimentalbrew.com or podcast at experimentalbrew.com. And I'd love to hear from you. So thank you everyone for joining us on another quick episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at my thoughts on how to quickly prepare for a brewing festival or really just any sort of party that you need to do. If I really wanted to be crazy, I could do even more. There was one year when I think I rattled off seven beers in the last month. But I have things I have to do. So right now, three feels pretty good to me. I think I'm doing a solid there. So now remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter, at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the HA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Best Friends Animal Project. Until next time, remember the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Air Still Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch 2-in-1 distillation system operates in either pot still or reflux mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug-and-play. The AirStill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits AirStill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the AirStill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube.